Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. The problem of evil. The problem of evil. If you're unfamiliar with the philosophical version of this, it goes like this. If God is all-powerful, that means he could stop evil if he wanted to. He could use his power to stop evil. If God is all-knowing, then he knows all the bad things that are going to happen before they do. And if God is all-good, that means he doesn't want those bad things to happen. And so when you put those three things together, it feels like there shouldn't be evil. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. Um, then there shouldn't be evil in the world. Uh, so I'm clicking. What? It's doing it by itself? That's so weird. So I'm clicking here, and the, the little rats in the machine are clicking up there. All right, let's, let's see how this goes. Uh, therefore, if God did exist, then evil should not exist. Evil does exist. Therefore, God must not exist. This is the philosophical version of the problem of evil, um, but all of us face this at one level or another, and most of us face it in a less philosophical version. And I want to start off by saying, even though in this series I'm going to be addressing this, I want to say theologically and philosophically, and, and trying to show actually God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and good, and He allows, not causes, evil to exist for good reasons. That's where we're, we're going to try and get to. But I wanted to start off with a warning because, again, in this series, we're going to be approaching this question a little bit philosophically. And the issue with that is most people don't ask this question until and unless they experience some kind of tragedy themselves in life. Um, I only began wrestling with the problem of evil myself as a follower of Jesus when my older brother's girlfriend committed suicide in our family's basement when I was in elementary school. And I wrestled with it again uh, when, because of the dot-com burst in 2000, my dad lost his job, my family had to sell all kinds of things, and we had to move four hours away, um, and we were pretty impoverished throughout my high school years. And I felt like I, like while my friends were having fun and having the classic high school experience, I was having stress and responsibility for the most part. What I want to say is that the problem of evil is not just philosophical, it's personal. Most people begin thinking about this in the aftermath of something terrible happening to them. And that makes sense. And I just want to warn you that uh, even though I'm going to be giving some answers, answers ring hollow in the face of tragedy. And I just want to say, if you're here and you right now are going through something really difficult, um, please do not take anything we talk about 
as me trying to explain away your pain. I don't think pain can be explained away. I don't think knowing these answers will make the hurt less deep. And I don't think it's supposed to. It's interesting. I was thinking this week about how um, Jesus, John 10, his friend Lazarus has died and he goes and visits his friends, Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus's, um, Lazarus's sisters. And they're like weeping and they're like, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died, right? God, if you had been here, this evil wouldn't have happened. They're experiencing the problem of evil, and it's personal for them. Jesus, why didn't you do something? You could have done something. And what's interesting is Jesus eventually does do something, but before he does something, he doesn't give them theology. He doesn't give them philosophy. He gives them comfort and presence. And he's with the sisters, and he even weeps with them before he helps them, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I want us, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want, I want to hold that example up to you. Um, if someone you know is going through something terrible, please do not use what we're talking about in this series as like, oh, don't be sad because of these answers. Uh, that's not what Jesus did, right? If, if your friend falls down in the mud, you help them up. You don't give them a lecture on gravity, Right? And the same thing is true for us, right? If, if a friend has fallen down and they're going through something hard, we help them. We don't give them philosophical reasons for why that bad thing happened. We might get there eventually, but that's not the first thing we do, okay? And I also want to uh, say an apology to you if you're here or if you're watching, because sometimes, Christians, we do this. Um, you're hurting and, or maybe you've experienced this even if you are a Christian. You went through something hard, and some well-meaning Christian said, well, everything happens for a reason. And that may be one of the most unhelpful things someone can say when you're experiencing pain and hurt. Um, Romans twelve fifteen, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to weep with those who weep. That's where we start. Again, the problem of evil is not just philosophical, it's personal. Now, here's the thing. In the aftermath of that, as you work through grief and tragedy, oftentimes this seed of doubt gets planted in the aftermath. Why would God let this happen? Why didn't he do something to stop it? If God is good, why didn't he do something? Now, I want to be clear. I don't think doubt in and of itself is a bad thing. I think actually doubt can be a very good thing if it's handled correctly. A lot of Christians are very scared of doubt. I think doubt's dangerous if what you do with doubt is you try and stuff it, right? Oh, that's a bad question. Don't ask it. And if you don't talk about it. But I think doubt has the potential to drive us to seek truth. And that is a good thing. And so if you've experienced doubt... um, that's okay. Like, let that doubt drive you to seek truth. And if you've wondered about this question, you are not alone. So many of us have over the years that if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, then evil should not exist in the world. So why does it? Let your doubts drive you to seek the truth. So that's uh, where we're going in this series. Now, in your seat, you got a uh, puzzle piece. Do you guys find your puzzle piece? 
This is my gift to you. Don't, don't ever say I didn't get you anything, all right? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so you each have a puzzle piece. Uh, I want to use the idea of a puzzle as a good metaphor to understand what we're doing in this series as a whole. Because as I've considered this question over the years, here's my conclusion. The Bible doesn't give an answer to the problem of evil. It gives a bunch of them. It doesn't give just one. And that's really important because for the next four weeks, or actually six weeks, we're going to be talking about this. And for the next four weeks, including today, I'm going to give you two answers every time we get together. But, but what I want you to understand as we go, like if by the end of this sermon, you're like, that can't be all. You're right. That's not all. And I think this also explains why sometimes when we give answers to people, they ring hollow, you know? I just don't understand why this happened. And we're like, well, because of this one thing, that's why. Is this, can you, can you tell what the picture is from this one piece? No. But what we're going to do in the series is we're going to open scriptures together, and our goal is to pour out and look at all the pieces the Bible gives us and lay them out on the table and try and start putting this puzzle together. And I also want to say this. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I have all the answers, okay? This is a big question. I've studied the scriptures a lot. I think I have eight good answers, but I don't think that's all of them. I think there's more answers to be found. But if you've ever put a, together a puzzle and you're missing a few pieces, you can still tell what the picture is, right? Once you get enough pieces out there and put them together, you understand what the picture is. And so again, my hope is not to answer every single question that there is related to this. I don't have all the answers, um, but I do want to share what I have, and I think there's enough here that at the end of this series, if you follow along, we're going to have enough pieces that we can see the picture that this paints of God's goodness in spite of evil. So we're going to start today with two answers to the problem of evil. Um, you can take these puzzle pieces home just as a reminder of. Each of these is just one piece of the puzzle, just one piece of the puzzle, and we're going to put them together. Um, and so, uh, actually, our family, uh, we put together this puzzle. So, if you're hanging in suspense, wondering what these pictures are, this is, this is it. Uh, I don't know if you can even see that. It's hot air balloons above a lake, and then it's, the lake is reflecting the mirror image of the hot air balloons. So, this is the picture that you have a little piece of, all right? Now, when you do a puzzle, where do you start? Which pieces do you start with? The corners and the edge pieces, right? You start with those easiest pieces, and then you fill things in. So today is the edge piece day, okay? We're looking at, I want to say, like low-hanging fruit. Some things that you've probably considered before, but are a little bit more even commonsensical. But I think when you start putting them together, it, it helps. So let's pull out these corner pieces and start laying them out together. All right, again, there's not just one answer. There are many. So here is answer number one. Answer number one that the Bible gives of why is there evil in the world. Answer number one is obvious as it is uncomfortable because it holds up a mirror to our faces. <laughs> answer number one is some of the evil we experience is our own doing. That at least some of the bad we experience in life is our own fault. Here's what Proverbs 22.8 says. It says, The one who sows injustice will reap disaster. 
and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. This is the principle of reaping and sowing or planting and harvesting. And so what the wisdom of Proverbs is saying to us is if you're a ruler and you're in charge and you sow injustice and unfairness, you're going to eventually reap a harvest of disaster. Your reign won't last long and your kingdom will be a mess. You reap what you sow. This is not just an Old Testament idea. Paul writes in Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. So going to answer number one, you reap what you sow. And we see this principle all the time um, for good and for bad, right? Like, think about it. Uh, you sow savings and investing for retirement. All things being equal, what will you reap? Yeah, you'll have savings laid up for retirement, right? Um, all things being equal, if you uh, eat healthy, you will be healthy. Okay. All things being equal, if you work out regularly, you will be tired. Yes. No, just kidding. Uh, yeah, strong. You'll, you'll, you'll get stronger, right? All things being, right, we, we know this works. Um, it's commonsensical that you reap what you sow, that there's automatic reactions. And so sometimes you get sick, or sometimes I get sick, I should say, because I stay up too late, too many nights in a row, and I'm not eating healthy or exercising, right? Sometimes when I get sick, it's kind of my fault that I haven't been taking care of my body. Sometimes I don't get sick because I am doing those things, right? Sometimes you work hard and study hard, and so you get a good grade. Sometimes you work hard, and you're faithful in your position, so you get a promotion. The reaping and sowing is not just a bad thing. It's also a good thing, right? And it's interesting because I think even though we don't like it when this works against us, something in us gets mad when it doesn't work for other people. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're driving the speed limit, and then that other person passes you. I, I don't know for you. Maybe, there's something in me that's like, I hope there's a policeman right around the corner. Right? They're sowing, speeding. They should reap a ticket, right? <laughs> and it's kind of a humorous point, but the point is also that there's something in us that, that wants the world to be just. Sowing and reaping relates actually to how God wired us to want a just and fair world. And it's not right or wrong, but this is one piece. Sometimes we suffer because we choose evil. <laughs> and so I, I've not, I'm, not, I'm not basing this off of reality, so I'm not picking on anyone. But I think of someone who gets lung cancer. And they raise their fist to God like, how could you let this happen? And they've smoked two packs of cigarettes for the last 30 years. I don't think that's God, right? <laughs> they had a role to play there. Some of the evil we experience is on us. And we need to be honest about this. Now, earlier I said, on purpose, actually, all things being equal, this happens. And all things being equal, you know, you work out and you'll get fit. All things being equal, you invest money and it'll pay off and you'll get a return. 
Because the truth is, we live in a world where all things are not being equal very often. Sometimes you invest and invest and invest, and something shady happens with the company, or the stock market crashes. Sometimes you work really, really hard for that promotion, and the manager's best friend is also an employee, and he gives them the promotion. We live in a world where, yes, you reap what you sow, but also not. <laughs> it's interesting, this idea of reaping and sowing um, can be found on the lips of someone named Eliphaz. He says, it's been my experience that a man reaps what he sows. Right? Yeah. Except Eliphaz was one of Job's friends. <laughs> if you know the story, there's a man named Job who suffered greatly. He lost everything he had, his own kids' lives, all of his wealth in one day. And his friends come to him and they're trying to comfort him. But eventually his friends say, hey, Job, you reap what you sow. You are sowing great evil and suffering. It must be that you committed great evil for you to experiencing such evil. And the whole book of Job is Job and his friends arguing back and forth. And Job saying, I have not done so much evil that I deserve so much suffering. You guys are wrong. And then saying, no, this is true. Therefore, you must have done something really bad, Job. You need to repent. And the whole book of Job, are you ready for it? If, I, can skip you, I can save you some reading time, okay? The whole book of Job is saying it's not that simple. That's what the book of Job is saying. Maybe, yes, sometimes, but it's not that simple. Or again, like we're talking about, this doesn't explain the whole puzzle, okay? This is one piece only. And what's more important is the Bible almost never uses this piece to assign blame to people. So, for example, in the New Testament, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, um, the disciples and Jesus come across a man born blind. And the disciples are thinking this way. And they say, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. This man has reaped blindness. He or his parents must have sowed a bunch of evil to deserve this. And what is Jesus' answer? No. (laughs) That's not what's going on here. It's more complicated than that. Yes, you reap what you sow sometimes, but that's not all. We also reap what other people sow. And unfortunately, other people often sow bad things. Genesis 3.19 says, um, by, your sweat of, by the sweat of your brow, Adam, you're going you're gonna to try and grow things, and it's going to produce thistles. <laughs> Basically saying, sometimes you are going to sow plant with a bunch of sweat and a bunch of energy, and you're going to harvest thistles. Sometimes you don't reap what you sow in this world that is broken and messed up. So this one piece doesn't answer all of it. So let's look at the second piece. The second piece is also related to humanity, but instead of pointing the finger at us, we're just going to point at everyone else now, okay? Second piece is people. Uh, People. That other people 
hurt us oftentimes. I heard about this interview with um, Philip Yancey, a Christian author and apologist. And um, in the aftermath of Princess Diana's death, I mean, the world was reeling. And people were questioning what's going on. And they're like, oh, you're a Christian. You've thought about the problem of evil. You know, come on the air with us and let's talk about this. And an interviewer was like sitting down with him and just so, so troubled by this. Like, how could God let Princess Diana die? And Philip Yancey wasn't trying to be sarcastic, but just also honest. He's like, well, I think it could have had something to do with someone choosing to get drunk and driving 90 miles per hour. Like, God didn't cause that to happen. That person chose to do that, right? That much of the evil we experience in the world comes from other people. And the question is, um, why would God let us do that to each other? <laughs> why would God make it so that we could hurt each other on such a deep level and cause such deep pain to other people? There are some key verses that relate to this. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. This is going back to creation, and, um, and we're not going to talk about today, you know, God creating versus uh, what science says. We are going to talk about that in a month or so, um, so stay tuned for that. Um, but let's just look at God's relationship with humanity and his original purpose with humans right now. It says this in Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So who's created in God's image? Men or women? <laughs> both, right? Male and female, both created in God's image. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw this, giving humans this immense power. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So what's going on here? What's going on here is that God has a job for humans to do. He doesn't, his original job for humans is not just to be a part of this world, but to rule over it. If you think about, that's a lot of responsibility. And I've been thinking about how responsibility enables um, capability or ability, or you could even say power. Here's what I mean. Um, so uh, our, our own kids uh, are pretty young right now. If you guys don't know, we have four kids, uh, Ada, Anna, Ailish, and Jude. 
And the oldest two are in uh, elementary school now. So Ada's in second grade, Anna's in kindergarten. And we're, we're trying to give them more responsibility as time goes on. Now, we haven't gotten very far down that journey, but what we have gotten to is you are responsible for what clothes you wear. <laughs> now, this is interesting sometimes. Um, and honestly, it's embarrassing sometimes when I drop them off at school and the teachers who bring the kids in, like, grab the kid, you know, to take them in and then kind of look back at me like, did you dress this child? Right? <laughs> My answer is no, they dress themselves. Right? Uh, we want to give them responsibility, which means we entrust to them and we give them the abilities and the capabilities and the powers to make their own decisions in this realm of clothing. So is it fair for that teacher to look at me and be like, why would you let this kid do that? I mean, that teacher could, could maybe judge me for giving my student or for my child that choice. But at the end of the day, like, Anna chose, you know, pink and a tutu. Like, no, she, ha she hasn't really done that. But, um, but, right, who chose that? Anna did, right? So don't blame me for when, right? And yet we tend to do that with God. God said, I made you able to rule over this world. I gave you this real responsibility. And then when humans take that responsibility and abuse it, we're like, God! And he's like, I, no, that was them. I gave them real responsibility. We haven't gotten to this point, thankfully. But at, at some point, I'm sure around 15, there will be some driving lessons that take place. And some of you have gone through that scary experience of helping a child purchase a car, and there comes a moment of handing them keys. And I want you to picture that moment of handing them keys as what God is doing to Adam and Eve with creation. When you hand someone the keys to your vehicle or to their vehicle, you are saying you're responsible, right? Right? And simultaneously, you're saying, I'm giving you ability and capability and power. I'm putting you behind the wheel of this 2,000-pound metal machine and entrusting you. Now, if that child then goes and gets in a wreck, is that your fault as the parent? Not really. It might be your fault if you didn't train them to drive. <laughs> but if you train them to drive and you give them those keys, right, that's on them. And so if God says, humanity, here are the keys to creation. I'm giving you real responsibility. And then we drive this thing into the ditch. <laughs> that's not on God. That's on us. So God is giving humans the keys to creation in these verses because he has a huge responsibility for us to take, to rule over the entire world. Saying, here's the keys to creation. I entrust them to you. I'm giving you responsibility over them and power to make decisions over them. And because God wanted to give us such a big responsibility, he had to also give us that much power or ability to affect the world and to affect other people. I want you to stop because oftentimes we think, oh man, but people have done so much wrong. Yes. But people also have done so much good. I was just like in awe this week thinking about the fact 
that, that Hitler and Mother Teresa are the same species. I mean, both of them affected the world in big ways. One for great evil and one for great good. And the truth is, all the intrinsic abilities and capabilities that each of them have, you and you and you and you also have. That's why I titled this sermon from um, Spider-Man, quote, that with great power comes great responsibility. That you and I are humans, and that is not a low thing. That is a high thing, according to the Bible. That is an amazingly high calling to rule over the domain that God has given you to rule over well and to exercise the power that God has given you carefully and with wisdom because you have great power and you can use that power for good or for bad. But at the end of the day, that's not God doing those things. It's him as a good father entrusting a huge gift to his children. Reminds me of this G.K. Chesterton quote. I don't know if you know the story, but there's this big article in the paper where someone's complaining, like, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Why would people do all these terrible things to each other? And then G.K. Chesterton's short reply, dear sir, I am. What's wrong with the world? I am. I cause great evil, and so do you. So one reason why God gave us such power over each other is because he wanted us to have genuine responsibility, to rule well. God created us to rule. But there is another reason that even gets closer to God's heart, and this comes a chapter later in Genesis chapter 2. So just flip over one page, and here's what the writer says. The Lord God took the man placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Again, a question that gets with all of this is people are like, why did God put that tree in the garden? Why would he say, don't do this thing? Here, here it is, right in front of you. Don't take it. That's how we often read the story. But I want you, as best as you can imagine, think about what would have happened if he hadn't put the tree there. He said, I want a relationship with you. I want you to choose me. And by the way, it's impossible to do anything else. I gave a lot of children analogies earlier uh, because at the heart of the biblical story is a heavenly father whose kids turned away from him and he sent his one and only son to bring those kids back to him. Um, It's a parent's love that reflects God's heart. So, uh, Like Jude is at this really cute age where he actually wants to be tickled. So I'll be playing with him. I'll start tickling him. I'll start laughing. And then I'll stop. And he's like, more. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's all tickle him more. And I think he's just like a very touchy boy, like a physical touch-oriented type person. Because then afterwards, he like, you know, gets on me and hugs me close. And um, of course, my favorite thing, he's like, I love you, Dad. It's like, oh. The same thing that makes I love you mean so much. The requirement for that to mean something is the same reason we're able to say I hate you and why it hurts so deeply. It's freedom and choice. See, God did not want to create a bunch of robots. He wanted to create people that he could have relationship with. And genuine relationship requires the ability and the freedom to choose to reject that relationship, to have a choice, to say yes or no. God created us to love. And so he put one tree in the garden. Now think about this. He could have put 10 trees that you're not supposed to eat from. (laughs) He only gave one. He said, eat from any tree. Eat from any of those hundreds of trees, just not this one tree. There's only one law at this point, only one rule. But that one rule reflects and makes it so that this is a genuine relationship. I want you to choose me, but I will not force you to choose me, is what God is saying. And so I give you a choice. Here's what uh, James Emery White, reading his book called Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. A great book if you have all those basic questions about Christianity. But here's what he writes on the subject. He says, without this willingness to be wounded on the deepest levels, there cannot exist authentic relationship on the deepest of levels. I mean, just think about your other relationships. Would you want to be married to someone who had no choice? There's something about love that entails freedom, right? And if you take away that freedom, you also take away the potential for love. You say, you have to stay with me. You can have a relationship, but it's not a loving one, right? And so God says, Adam and Eve, I love you. I want you to choose me, so I'm going to allow you to choose So God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and good. I believe he is all those things. And he does not cause evil, but he allows evil to exist, and he does so for good reasons. Now, we've only looked at two of those reasons today, okay? The P and the S stand for people and so. Why is there evil in the world today? Because of people and because we reap what we sow. Those are two answers. Eventually, we're going to get eight of them um, in this series, but we're just starting with two. Again, this is not all the answers, so please, please, please don't take this and be like, I know why this happened. (laughs) And if this isn't compelling, please come back next week. Get at least half the pieces on the table. So here's what's so amazing to me. We've talked about how you reap what you sow. Some of the evil we experience is our own fault. We've talked about how we also reap what other people sow, that people have the ability to hurt us. But what I haven't talked about 
but is also true, is other people reap what we sow. The Bible teaches that all of us, one time or another, have hurt others, sometimes in deep ways. And the amazing good news of this story and where it heads is that God sees that and it breaks his heart to the point that he steps in and does something about it. That he sent his own son, Jesus, to offer not just forgiveness, but yes, to offer forgiveness, but also to offer the gift of transformation, to be changed from the inside out, like we sang about earlier, to go from someone who is an evildoer to change from that to someone who is at their heart, someone who wants to do good to others. And that can only happen, we believe, through Jesus. We said the problem of evil is personal. It's personal for God, too. Scripture says that God did not stay distant from us. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. They're reaping what they're sowing. The end. No, Jesus stepped in and said, I will take your evil on me. And I will allow it to do its worst. A pastor named Nanny Stanley says that at the heart of the Christian faith is the worst possible thing happening to the best possible person. So if it bugs you, why would God let bad things happen to good people? <laughs> it should bug you even more of what Jesus did for us. The worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. And somehow through that, we believe that God brought not just forgiveness for our wrong and our evil, but transformation and made that available to us. In fact, that's so important. I'm going to say a lot more about it next week. That's where we're going to. Uh, the answer of redemption and this element of how God can use anything and everything to work good in the world. But I wanted to close with that because I want us to be honest with ourselves before God. And so we're going to close in a moment with a prayer. But today in some ways is easy. These are the edge pieces. And in some ways it's really difficult because we're holding up the mirror and saying, the problem of evil, I'm a contributor to it. Some of the evil I have experienced is my own fault. I'm reaping what I'm sowing. And part of the evil other people have experienced is my fault too. I have used the great power that God has given me in bad ways in my life. And so, we just want to say a prayer and thank God for his grace, his undeserved favor, and his heart of good. Because even though we rejected God way back and said, I don't want to, the Father's arms are still open wide, and he still wants us, so much so that he gave his one and only son for us. So I want to pray for us, but I want you to pray with me in this time and just thank God for his heart for us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you 
that even though at times I have been my own worst enemy, that you still love me. God, I thank you that at times, sometimes accidentally, but sometimes purposefully, I've said awful things to others. I've hurt people in deep ways. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. That even though on some level that's the kind of person I am, you still love me. Thank you that that's, even though that's the kind of person all of us are to some extent, that you love us unconditionally. You know everything about us and you love us. Thank you for your amazing love. Your amazing love that drove you to send your only son. And you allowed us to do our worst to him. And somehow on the other side of that, you're still have your arms open wide towards us. Because your plan all along was to use your son to bring us back to you. And so I pray if anyone here is has not said yes to that amazing gift of forgiveness and transformation and new life that's found in you, that they would consider that today. And I pray for all of us who have, that we would not take that for granted. That we would remember the goodness of that gift and the greatness of that gift. And that God, you would grow us to become people who use this amazing responsibility and power you give us for good. We're sorry for the ways we use it for evil. Help us to use that for good going forward. We know that can only happen through you and with your power. So we ask you to do that. In your name we pray. 